0: Hello, friends. My name is Brenna. And I'm Danny. And, and this, this is Lago, Lago Stories. Stories. Today's episode contains graphic information that some listeners may find disturbing. Listeners' discretion is advised. welcome back everyone to episode 12 today's case is an exciting one because we have another case suggestion you know we always say if you have a case suggestion to send it our way and y'all this is a gruesome one so thank you for suggesting this case because honestly i had never heard of it and danny i'm pretty sure you haven't either
1: back-to-back case suggestions that's super exciting and i can't wait to hear this one I'm ready for anything. Oh, goodness.
0: (laughs) Yeah, get ready. But let's jump right into this. Let me tell you about Janet Chandler. Janet was a 22-year-old music student living in a small town, Holland, Michigan, when she disappeared. It was January 31st at 2.30 a.m. when police got a call about a robbery and possible abduction from the Blue Mill Inn. When the first officer arrived, it was clear that a robbery had taken place because there was about $500 missing. Speaking with the guard that called in to police, they also quickly realized that Janet had been taken against her will as Janet was missing without her coat and had left her half-smoked cigarette in the ashtray. They also noted two separate sets of footprints in the snow leading from the motel to car tracks. A security guard staying at the motel tells police that he was actually talking on the phone with Janet from his room and overheard the robbery take place. He explains he heard a deep voice, but could not recognize the voice, nor make out the words spoken by the man, but that Janet said, quote, Please don't take it all, sir. End quote. When there was no response from Janet, he knew there was a robbery in progress, so he went into another room and tried to call the front desk back, but received a busy signal. That's when he called the police. Because Holland, Michigan, was a small town, the entire police force was called, which was six officers, but they quickly set up barricades along the roads and notified Janet's parents.
1: Okay, so one, when they say, quote, please don't take it all, sir, what was she referring to? The money. Okay, and then the ashtray and the coat and all of that, so did they know that it was her cigarette, or were they just assuming because her coat and other items were left behind?
0: Yeah, so Uh, Not that they knew from DNA or anything, they were just assuming, but it was also really, really cold in Michigan and it's January. There's snow outside and everything, so you know no one would just walk out without their coat and, you know, take a stroll outside. Mm -hmm. Another thing is she's a night clerk as well, so the door was supposed to be locked and anybody wanting to come inside the motel would have to come to the window for security, but the door was unlocked, so it was just kind of like someone came in, Larry took the money, and grabbed her, walked her out, and took her to, to a car.
1: Was there a reason it was unlocked, or you don't know? That we don't
0: know. I'll kind of get into it a little bit more when I go into the documentary that was made about this case, but yeah, it was it was definitely supposed to be locked, but this night just wasn't locked.
1: That's unfortunate. Yeah. The search
0: for Janet ended quickly in less than 24 hours when she was found just 40 miles away, partially buried in snow, and completely nude. A snowplow driver had been clearing the road around 1.30am on February 1st when he noticed some footprints in the snow leading into thick trees right off the side of the road and stopped to investigate. Immediately after Janet's body was found, police began securing the crime scene, gathering evidence, interviewing everyone Janet had come in contact with, and trying to drag down her killer. In just a few months, they compiled over 1,000 pages of notes. Unfortunately, they wouldn't have much to go off of forensically, though. Because Janet was found nude and they were unable to ever locate her personal belongings, they had no fibers, no fingerprints, they could pull off like her watch or wallet. They pretty much had nothing. Even the tire imprints from the motel and where Janet's body was found were unable to accurately be pinpointed for an exact maker model. Police were also unable to determine if the same car used to abduct Janet was the same car that dumped her body. Janet's autopsy showed she had been tied up and the cause of death was strangulation. The medical examiner also noted recent sexual activity, but remember this is
1: 1979, so DNA who? So, I just want to make sure, from when she was taken to where they found her body, do you know how far that was?
0: Yeah, it was 40 miles north of where she was taken
1: okay just because the plow driver found her that was the only kind of connection to like where she was to that they weren't kind of on track with that
0: yeah exactly they weren't looking in that area granted it only been 24 hours so I'm sure they had a very small area that they were searching um but yeah they weren't searching in that area yet but that snow plower saw footprints in you know like the freshly plowed snow and was like that's weird and investigated it
1: yeah it is pretty interesting that she was found completely naked in the snow obviously you would not rule that right away of like okay this happened accidentally or something like that at least in my opinion yeah but was the lack of no fibers and evidence because of the snow or was it just, like, they just weren't able to pull anything off of it?
0: Mainly, anything? and they did, you know, try and fingerprint everything from where she was taken, the motel that she worked at. But on the body, there was nothing because she was completely nude. So, you know, there wasn't any fibers, like, stuck mm-hmm. to just her skin. Whereas, like, if she had been wearing clothes, they could have picked up maybe carpet fibers from a car trunk okay. or, you know, um, anything like that. But they had nothing. There was no blood that could be found on clothing so they just didn't have anything to go off of there okay now remember holland was a small town only like 17 square miles so multiple police agencies from surrounding cities and even the state's police were brought in to help solve the case but as time went on they were no closer to finding her killer and janet's case was now as cold as holland winters In 2003, over two decades later, and still no answers, seven film students and their professor at Hope College made Janet's cold case the subject for a documentary they named Who Killed Janet Chandler? Now, Professor David Schock and his students figured they most likely wouldn't solve the case by doing the documentary, but they hoped that this would bring back Janet's case to people's memories and maybe get some new leads to turn over to police. They began creating the documentary much like a police investigation, with research beginning at the library and interviews—lots and lots of interviews. Janet's parents, Glenna and Jim Chandler, were eager to speak with the students and recalled memories of Janet. Before filming, they gathered together for prayer, and then Chuck said something to the Chandlers that personally gave me chills. And Danny, would you mind reading this quote for me?
1: Yeah. Quote, the only thing I can promise you is that this is going to be painful, end quote.
0: Janet grew up in Holland and was brought up in a very conservative and religious family, but she loved the church and spent her childhood singing in the choir, working with child evangelicals, and working at a daycare through school as she got older. Her father Jim recalled that she was known as the most spiritual in the family. She was their only daughter out of three and was the middle child. Originally, Janet attended nursing school, but after one semester, transferred from Muskegon Community College to Hope College to study music. One thing everyone could never forget about Janet was her amazing voice. She loved singing opera and had a mezzo-soprano voice. And this is like categorizing her voice by tone range and volume, which I didn't know was a thing, but I thought it was really cool. But even as a young girl in church, Everyone talked about this big, strong, powerful voice coming from this small body, and everyone was always amazed. One of her music teachers recalled her voice as a gorgeous instrument, but thought that Janet was having some troubles emotionally and academically. In an interview for the documentary, he recalls that she was, quote, emotionally volatile, end quote, and would witness Janet crying after simple criticism. At college, Janet was known more as an outsider And they presumed that this was because she had a strong personality and that a lot of other students didn't understand or relate to that. And honestly, while watching the documentary, I was taken aback by some of the interviews from her former teachers because you don't usually hear now that they were speaking ill of her. But there were a lot of, I guess, odd experiences they had with Janet and shared that with the film students. But I wanted to add that in here because it was clear to me that the Janet her parents and brothers knew was a different Janet than everyone in school knew.
1: Okay, I'm glad I didn't interject before because I think the connection to Hope College now took a full circle because I was like, why are these film students randomly picking her case? Like, how did you get there? But if she was a student there, that makes way more sense. But I'm curious to see because the emotional outbreaks over simple criticism that's very interesting and it sounds like there's a little instability there.
0: Yeah, and I I think it was also a combination of she was almost sheltered in a way, you know, in this conservative family and then she was put out in front of the world and it was a completely different world for her.
1: Yeah, I knew a girl in college that kind of crumbled like that and She ended up actually leaving the university and went to a smaller one because it was just one of those things that when you come from a very sheltered, very religious background and then going and being exposed to a university where... God knows what happens. Yeah, it's like the craziest part of people's lives. Exactly. That, I can completely understand that, too. Yeah.
0: At 22, Janet became burned out from just mainly learning about music and not so much performing music, and decided to take a break from school. She told her mother, Glenna, that she had always cared for her and she needed more independence and wanted to get a job. Her parents, of course, wanted her to stay in school and study and reminded her that she didn't have to work, but Jana began working shortly after at the Blue Mill Inn as a night clerk. Looking back, her father Jim remembered that he felt eerie while at the motel, seeing some questionable people loitering about the lobby, and regretted not doing or saying anything at the time. So,
1: if she wasn't overperforming, was there a reason she picked this job? Was there an attraction to it, or it just...
0: So that, and I'll, I'll definitely talk about more about the Blue Mill Inn later on, but... Yeah, it seems like an odd fit for her. And I don't know if she sought out that job or it was just like the first job that she saw. It was like, hey, we're hiring.
1: Yeah, it definitely, when you said that, I was like, from music school to to night clerk. Yeah, and I do want to add that,
0: you know, after a while working, she did plan to go back to school and, you know, eventually had planned to finish school at Hope and then even hopefully get into Juilliard to continue that music career. But I think it was just kind of like, I need a break, I need some independence, I want to be on my own, and then I'll pick it back up later on. Mm -hmm. Now, in the winter of 1978 in Holland, there was a major strike at a nearby paint plant named Kimchon. Nearly 200 union workers walked out, and even later brought in experienced strikers from Detroit to lend more muscle behind the picket lines. Kim Tron then hired Wakana Security Company to provide guards in an attempt to control the strikes. However, things were tense and ugly. The picketers would taunt the guards, the guards would harass picketers, and even throw spikes under their tires. So things escalated pretty quickly and went on for a long time. But at the end of the day, the guards and strikebreakers would spend their nights at the Blue Mill Inn, where several rooms were reserved for the 80 men group. The Blue Mill Inn was located on the edge of town and from the outside looked like a normal motel, but on the inside there was a lot of wild parties with the Wakana guards present.
1: Yeah, I can definitely pick up where her dad was having some concerns.
0: Yeah, it <laughs> seems like a very wild and chaotic time, especially in the motel, but the whole town itself, you know, was mm-hmm. experiencing these large, you know, almost riots. Throughout the documentary, there were many theories as to who the murderer was. Previous detectives had their own theories. It was one guy she knew, another thought it was two or even three people, suspects were in prison or dead, one detective thought it was for sure a serial killer that was traveling through town. There was even a rumor that Ted Bundy was in the area at the time, although this was ruled out. There were also numerous people that had claimed responsibility for Janet's murder, but once these people had been interviewed, it was clear that they had nothing to do with it. A convicted serial killer, Donald Lee Evans, also made a confession from prison that he killed Janet, but unfortunately died in prison before this confession could be investigated thoroughly. At the end of the documentary, we see Janet's parents, Jim and Glenna, speaking to the camera emotional. Her father, Jim, states, quote, "...it would be a whole lot better to find out who did this and see justice done." The killer will ultimately get punished, but we probably won't know about it end quote. But little did he know they would both be alive to see Janet get justice. On January 30th of 2004, the documentary aired in downtown Holland, Michigan at the Knickerbocker Theater and Holland Police Chief John A. Krutoff was in the audience. John had been involved in the case in a very small way when he was a young officer, but never forgot about the case throughout the years. The first thing all officers saw as they entered the station was Janet's bulletin posted on the wall. Turns out, John had already taken steps to reopen Janet's case and after the documentary stirred up a lot of old memories in the town, John phoned the Michigan State Police where Detective David Van Loppe, who was also raised in Holland, became the lead investigator. David also remembered the notorious murder of the small town and stated, quote, I felt committed to solving this case. End quote. By June 2004, David teamed up with three additional detectives and went through every single document, every single piece of evidence to try and piece together what happened. They knew they were missing a huge piece of the puzzle, and that was who exactly Janet Chandler was. There was a clear difference in what her co-workers and close friends saw and what her family saw. A few years prior to her murder, it was said that Janet left the nursing school because of the wild party-type crowds, but now was working at the epicenter of parties for the small town in the late 70s. Now, it's not hard to believe, especially at 22, that you're not going to tell your parents everything you do right. But... In order to solve this case, they needed to look at the other side of Janet. During the reinvestigation, the detectives questioned everyone again. They interviewed a man who had dated Janet when she first enrolled in college, and that was the community college. He was a middle-aged man then, while Janet was still in her teens, and he had seduced her into having sex with him. He confessed that during their year-long relationship, he was not proud of what he had done, and admits he took advantage of the crush she had on him.
1: Okay, ew. Is this guy gross or,
0: yeah, okay, he's gross. (laughs) You're correct. (laughs) They also interviewed a woman who had known Janet throughout her childhood, and she told detectives that, quote, after the affair, Janet's religious views changed because she realized that if she sinned, she was not going to immediately go to hell, end quote. One person that had never been interviewed, though, was Janet's roommate and supervisor at the Blue Mill Inn she left town quickly after the murder and police could never track her down until now officers found lori ann swank working as a nursing assistant in pennsylvania she told officers at first that she recalled janet was quote unquote musical and fun loving but when shown a picture of janet her mood changed drastically and then told police quote unquote they were a wild group who liked to party she continued telling police she had to reprimand janet for having sex with a guard in a display suite once and that there were many affairs with the guards and Janet at the time. She also admitted to police she had affairs with the guards as well. The detectives continued their interviews of any possible suspects all over the U.S. and even interviewed a convicted rapist in jail that they felt was ready to open up about something. Turns out that feeling was right and the man confessed to a killing, but it wasn't Janet's.
1: So it sounds like the very sheltered religious girl found kind of the more quote-unquote fun things in life and just got after it
0: yeah absolutely and i mean who can blame her she's 22 and you know at first she was like i don't like this college par and then she, maybe she was like oh this is life i'm just gonna
1: live it while i can mm-hmm. you know but well you can definitely tell how naive she was when you made the comment that she was quoted saying oh i sinned and i didn't go straight to hell like mm-hmm. that's that's intense yeah and Danny, I know we
0: literally have nothing to go off of at this point, but just out of curiosity, do you have a theory of your own or someone you think murdered Janet?
1: It was the roommate. <laughs> the roommate.
0: <laughs> Very sus that she would just leave town. Yeah. <laughs> It is very (laughs) suspicious. Totally
1: joking, but also like Loki kind of think it was her.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I don't know.
1: I just have a feeling. All right, we'll come back to it.
0: So detectives found themselves coming back to people staying at the Blue Mill Inn as the most possible suspects, and they decided to look into the guard that placed the 911 phone call again. Robert Michael Lynch was 39 at the time of Janet's death, so he was a lot older than the other Wakana guards he worked with. Now living a respectable life 80 miles south of Holland, he and his wife opened a beauty school and had a son and daughter who was now about the same age as Janet was at the time of her death. In 1979, he drank frequently, but now even at 65, he was still heavily drinking, and over the course of several interviews, he made interesting comments that intrigued detectives. Detectives knew he was drinking away memories, and he had to know something more than he was offering. It was now June 2005 when Robert Lynch confessed he was intimately involved with Janet and mentioned something about having sex with her in a dark and vacant house. He also mentioned that the night of the murder, he was at a party that, quote-unquote, went haywire, and in over one year of interviews, this was the first time anyone mentioned about a party that night. As the detectives pushed Robert in further interviews, he would mention to police that, quote, I regret my whole life, end quote. And quote, some of the things I've done I don't even want to talk about, end quote. A breakthrough finally occurred with Robert when detectives played the interview from the documentary of Janet's parents explaining they will probably never know who killed Janet. Detective John Van Lopik told Robert Lynch, quote, You have a daughter Janet's age. If she were killed, wouldn't you want to know what happened to her? Just look at them, Bob, end quote. And with that, Robert broke down and began telling detectives what happened that night. This wasn't a simple confession, though. It took detectives four months to get all the information from Lynch and also re-interviewed Janet's former roommate and old boss, Lori Ann Swink, along with another maid working at the motel to fill in the missing pieces. But we finally knew what happened to Janet Chandler, and it was much more horrifying than the detectives could ever imagine. As we now know, there were a lot of affairs going on at the Blue Mill Inn with the guards and this caused a lot of jealousy and rage between the co-workers. The evening of January 30th, 1979, a maid screamed at Janet for supposedly sleeping with her boyfriend, but Swink was even more enraged with Janet for sleeping with the head guard, Arthur Pava, who went by Carl. Swink told Carl that Janet had been sleeping with other guards under his command and now he, too, was enraged by Janet they wanted revenge. Several of the guards planned a, and I'm using air quotes here, surprise party for Janet that would later testify under oath that the sole purpose of this party was to have Janet, quote-unquote, gangbanged by other guards and to, quote-unquote, teach her a lesson.
1: Okay, before you got to this part, I was already getting with the quotes and the comments of her sexuality, I feel like a lot of it was not consensual, like in a dark home or persuaded her to do it. I wasn't comfortable with any of those terms. Yeah, So we, it's not a quick turn that we got to this point for me.
0: Yeah, and I'm not going to say, you know, every single sexual encounter was rape. And again, this is allegedly right. Like we can hear from her herself and I do didn't want to mention at first, but since you brought it up, Lori, when she reprimanded Janet for having sex in that suite, apparently she had phoned one of the guards and told him to come down. And, you know, he walked in and she was just wearing cowboy boots. And that's what was it. Again, that's allegedly. So, but you are right. That first older man, that was definitely not consensual. Maybe it turned in that way later on throughout the year, but it was not consensual at first. Mm. Now, according to Robert Lynch, he received a phone call around 2 a.m. on the night of January 31st from another guard needing help luring Janet out of the motel. When another guard told Janet they wanted to blindfold her to bring her to this surprise party, and they told her it was to honor her, she seemed happy to oblige. Like, she didn't think anything of it.
1: I don't think anyone would.
0: Right? You're like, oh, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Robert states he witnessed the guard place gauze around her eyes and then duct tape over that as they walk out together to a car waiting outside. The plan was to take Janet to a guest house where Carl was staying on the Kim Chon plant grounds. Robert told police he didn't go to the party with them, as he knew he had to sleep before his 6 a.m. shift, but had come up with the robbery ploy to tell police before heading back for a couple of hours of sleep. When he got off work at 6 p.m., he headed over to the guest house and saw Janet sitting in a corner, nude, with her mouth sealed with duct tape and her hands bound in front of her. He recalled seeing her eyes looking glassy and assumed she was on drugs. We will later find out, though, there were no drugs in her system, so she was most likely in shock at that point. After Robert downed a few drinks, he saw another guard wrap a belt around Janet's neck and was jerking her around like a doll. He then admits he followed the other guards into a bedroom where Janet was tossed on the bed and all five men took turns raping her. Lori Swink was also present at this moment, and she would be heard from the living room shouting amongst the others, quote, you bitch" end quote. And Danny, I'm going to need you to read this next part for me, but take a deep breath
1: before. According to witness testimony, a witness tells the courtroom what he saw when it was Robert's turn. Quote, he pinned his knees into her shoulder, using his feet to stop her from writhing. He slapped her. He whispered something in her ear. He bit her neck. He punched her. And like the others had done, he yanked on the belt around her neck as he raped her. End quote. So, wow. I just... One, I knew it was a roommate. <laughs> you did call it. <laughs> no, I wasn't a fan of her when she said that she had to reprimand her for having sex with people. Almost like, But okay, you were doing the same thing. Exactly. Like, gross. Just had very yucky vibes from that. Did you think it was a security guard from the very first? Well, and what I was going to go back to saying, like I commented at the very beginning, if you were in a robbery, why would you say, hey, don't take all the money. I would be like, here is everything I personally own. So it's interesting that you brought it up
0: because the way that it was presented in that documentary was like to show Janet was like a good girl. Like she was like, oh, please don't take it all, sir. You know? And yeah, no, I I definitely didn't fall for that. And it's interesting because... Obviously, I knew what happened in this case, and in the documentary, it's still unsolved, so they're talking about this, and I'm like, no, you guys,
1: (laughs) you know? But I mean, to literally quote her saying that, I was like, out of everything, you could have done something better.
0: Yeah, well, and in, in the documentary, it was like, all we had was this ear witness, and you know, he played a very big part in it. It's just tragic.
1: Yeah. Lynch
0: would tell police it was like looking back on a bad dream as he felt her chest trying to find her heartbeat, the look in her eyes as he pulled off the duct tape that was covering her mouth, and how he heard Carl announce that the party was over after throwing a chair. By September 2006, police had enough information to charge all parties involved with Janet's death. In exchange for Robert's Lynch full confession... And admittance, he was the one who dumped Janet's body. He pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 25 to 45 years in prison. After a heartbreaking statement made by Janet's mother and an even more upset father who couldn't finish his statement and had to be led away, Lynch addressed Janet's family. He stated, quote, I hope the family rests in peace and I ask forgiveness from Janet I worked hard for 18 months to see this come to an end, and I hope it does, end quote. Lori Swank also gave a full confession in exchange for pleading guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison. She was released from prison in 2016 and is no longer on parole. Arthur Pava, aka Carl, was sentenced to life in prison in 2007 and died in prison in March of 2013. James Nelson, Freddie Parker, and Anthony Williams were all convicted of second-degree murder and were also sentenced to life in prison in 2007, although all three men argued they were innocent. James Nelson also died in prison in June of 2020, and I'm assuming that Freddie and Anthony are still alive because I couldn't find anything on their death.
1: Okay, was Lynch the person who had the initial blow of it all like he actually murdered her
0: so we don't know who was the actual person that you know pulled the belt so hard she no longer breathed um but I think because he was the first one to confess that's kind of why he got that deal also Lori (laughs) it's kind of like she got on very easily because she almost seemed like the second mastermind. They were calling Carl or Arthur Pava like the mastermind. But it was really Lori that went to Carl and said, hey, Janet's sleeping with all the other guards. You know, she, she was like the instigator yeah. and only got 10 to 20 years.
1: I just want to go back to the quote that Lynch thought was appropriate to say to the family. First off, just keep the comments to yourself that you worked hard for 18 months to see this come to an end. You literally are the problem. Please stop. Yeah. And also, all of these sentences were grossly inappropriate as well. I agree. Absolutely. You guys are grown human beings torturing another human being until they died. Yeah. And Lori, I knew it was you. (laughs) That's all I gotta say. Yeah, you don't take off after
0: your roommate dies and not have something to do with it. But yeah, no, I completely agree. I think she definitely should have gotten more than... So she was released in 2016, and I think she was sentenced around Lynch's time. So I think she only did like 10 years. Like she didn't even do the full 20.
1: Disgusting. You're disgusting.
0: Absolutely. And also, um, so before they died... Arthur or Carl and Nelson, they were all really all four of them were adamant like they were like no, um we weren't there at the time and da 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 so they were going through the appeals but there were a lot of witness testimonies and like it was clear you raped her and just the fact I see it in my mind and I think that's why this case is so disturbing is I see it in my mind literally all five men raping her and just pulling on that belt.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, it just gives me chills and makes me feel so disgusting. I want to shower just talking about this. I mean, it's just horrific what they did. And, I mean, I'm glad that it finally did have an end result. But, I mean, honestly, the stupid turn that they tried to have it take. Mm -hmm. Just, like, it just... But the thing is, it
0: worked for... 25 years, you know,
1: and it only worked because it was, there like, was like no that evidence. small town, yeah, there's no evidence and it didn't make sense, yeah. So, of course,
0: well, and there was also, um, I didn't originally mention it because you know they had no idea about DNA, but you know, they take like blood samples and things like that. Well, on the reinvestigation side, they were like, okay, let's see these samples now, we have this DNA capability. And they were either destroyed thinking, all right, we can't do anything else with this, or they were just moved around too much that they could not use any sample of what they did have. Yeah. So it really honestly was that detective that just kept interviewing Lynch and he knew that something was off. You know, he was like drinking away all of his memories and giving these like weird clues and he really just pushed him. And that literally confession is what brought this case to an end.
1: Well, and I mean, also you got to credit the film students too because they kind of shed light on that. And that's why, I mean, what we do, what other people do for cases like this, it's so important because when you hear about it and it keeps getting brought up and brought up and brought up, eventually somebody's going to say, hey, I know something about that. It keeps yeah. getting brought up or something's going to change where someone's released from prison or things like that. So I just think that's a really powerful piece that we, we got to advocate and support yes, for sure.
0: absolutely. And it was also included that, you know, some of the film students, there was one, her name was Sarah, And she actually looked a little bit like Janet. And so even Janet's mother on, like, a break cried cried on her shoulder. And, yeah, it was really sweet. But, you know, she even said for an article that she was happy that she got to kind of retell Janet's story. But she was very disappointed because it was like the – she felt the documentary went nowhere. But, you know, later on, it would be that thing that – you know, Lynch saw them on the TV screen and, you know, that's what made him confess. So, yeah, really powerful stuff. Great job, guys. Yeah, (laughs) but with that, that will conclude today's episode. Again, thank you for this case suggestion and y'all keep them coming. Let us know your thoughts on Instagram and Facebook at Logo Stories. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us if you haven't already. If you have a case suggestion, please reach out through our website at logostories.net. All of today's source material will be linked in the description box below. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple weeks, but until then, stay safe out there. It's a weird world. Thank you to Alexander Nakarada for allowing us to use his sound nightmare for theme music.